Welcome to Poppinlock. I'm Landry Ayers. Socrates once said the unexamined life is not worth living. And if he were around today, I'm sure he'd also say that a bug's life is totally worth examining. Join us as we dive into the 1998 Disney Pixar romp to find out what we can take away with us and what we can leave on the offering stone. With me today is Deputy Managing Editor at Reason and our old friend, Natalie Dowzicki. I'm happy to be back at my old stomping grounds today, Landry. <laughs> We're happy to have you. And Interim Director at Libertarianism.org and returning guest, Paul Meany. Happy to be here. So, A Bug's Life, is it worth it to draw some sort of economic or political or philosophical lesson from this film? And if so, what might it be? Because you see a lot of conflicting analysis of this movie, whether it's about class struggle or it's about the failures of bureaucrats lording over people who want to engage in free enterprise or uh, something else. And I, I have trouble nailing down any one particular lesson, but everybody seems to have one that they take away from it. Is there one that you have settled on, each of you? And if so, what is it? And how valuable is it? I say this with like a little bit of a caveat because I was reading an article about um, that the directors did and the producers just like a Q&A and they were talking about how they everyone is reading far too much into this film and that this was not like their intention to make like a communism versus capitalism or socialism versus capitalism movie. Um, but I think that's kind of the the beauty of when you look back at older movies and everyone like overanalyzes them. So maybe that wasn't their intention, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that storyline isn't there. However, kind of what I glean from the movie, especially watching it now versus watching it when I was little, um, is more of like how it's like um, like an innovator story. So like Flick to me is just like has a very much an entrepreneurial spirit. He wants to like get out of the rut that he sees, you know, not only his family, but like other other ants like him uh, in. And he's like very proactive about, you know, wanting to create a way to um, gather the grain more efficiently. And um, I think it's more of like an innovator story. And like, obviously, Flick is in the in the hero's journey here in a very loose sense. Um, but I don't I don't read so much of the socialism versus capitalism is that um, in the movie as much as maybe Paul does. <laughs> well, what I would say is, is whether or not it's a worthy question to ask, what can we learn from this movie? It doesn't matter what I think, multiple academic articles have been written about what <laughs> Bugs Life is about and how it can be used to teach people different ideas. So I it doesn't matter what I think. People have decided it's important already, so it's worthy of engaging with. So they've they validated your thoughts. <laughs> they validated it a lot, you know. Well, no, they're on the a lot of people are on the other opposite end of the spectrum from me. But I think the big lesson from Bugs Life is how much aesthetics covers our worldview. Because being the big loser I am, I read an awful lot about ants before watching Bugs Life again. Oh my god! And one of the things is that ants used to be used as this kind of um, in the medieval ages and sometimes in political thought and a little bit in the early modern period. Ants are always supposed to be the super best organism. They always know their nature. They do what they're told. They're kind of, they have no ego of their own, so they're better. Because they have no will of their own, they're a better ideal society. You can also see this with like bees as well in medieval thought and also with Bernard Mandeville as well. But the idea of animals having some sort of way that humans can learn from like, oh, the way ants are. There's also um, the Once and Future King also has a little bit about ants and militarism. But 
because ants are collectivistic and because at the end of the movie they all link arms together and stomp over the grasshoppers, um, everyone just assumes it's a socialist film just based off of like aesthetics. Uh, obviously the grasshoppers aren't really Chairman Mao or Stalin or anything, they're just a bunch of gangsters and they're even portrayed to be like that. And I was always confused when people were saying the grasshoppers were these capitalists because when they, when they rev their wings it sounds like motorbikes and then when they're off relaxing they're off you know in some sombrero like in the middle of Mexico they've run off the border. Like they're supposed to be gangsters that steal. They're not some sort of very organized state or some capitalists. And I've always found it so bizarre, but I think just because of the aesthetics of the ants, the idea of collectivism, some of the lines in the movie, people just get the wrong idea and think all of a sudden, oh yeah, it must be about the working class rising up. Even though Flick, as you said before, is like an innovator. It's a story about someone trying to show different ways of doing things. That's part of Flick's kind of story and his individualism is that he shows Dot the little seed and says, everyone could be this, you just have to wait a little bit of time. And he convinces the ants to think of themselves as more than they are. But that's kind of lost on people. And I think it really is lost on a lot of people because people want to read something into this film that it really is not. And I see this in a lot of different coverage on both sides of the issue. People have written about how it is explicitly about class struggle and how the ants are the working class who are being oppressed by sort of uh, corporate or, you know, the 1% overlords sort of as such. And then on the other side that the grasshoppers are bureaucrats who are extracting wealth from the people who are engaging in the work that actually benefits every single person. And none of those are exactly true. But as we've said before, that wasn't the intent of the filmmakers. They're not intending to tell a story about that. It is, in an individualistic sense, a story about a hero who forges his own path and is an innovator and tries new things in the sense that almost any hero's journey is sort of an individualistic kind of Western way of looking at stories. And I think that there is some nuance to parse there and some ways of looking at how that might support more libertarian themes as opposed to the more progressive uh, collectivist themes that some people might read into it. But that's more about the tropes and, and structure of Western stories, I think, rather than A Bug's Life in particular. And and I just want to like talk about all of the different ways that I don't think it makes sense. So you mentioned the grasshoppers and the grasshoppers are interesting because they could be described as like bureaucrats or people who, or the the one percent or something. Or I, but they, I even read an I even read an article that the grasshoppers were described as like the property owners, which yes. also didn't really make sense. Also not accurate because <laughs> they they contribute nothing to the ant society on a sort of benevolent or malevolent level. Like they're not even attempting the facade of trying to provide services that a socialist I will disagree state might with provide. That. I will well, disagree very well, quickly. Well, oh, no, the services, yes. No, no, the services, yes. Uh, so they're not going to try and provide healthcare and all this. But there's one part where Hopper is talking at the very beginning of the film when he's introduced and he's saying, you know, there's a lot of other bugs out there and we're well, protecting you. Well, here's what I'll say. It's it's not that he's actually providing. It's a protection racket. It's a criminal yeah. organization as such. So they're not actually providing like a real capitalist service that engages in free market exchange. It's a coerced, implied threat of violence, which is that either we're going to allow other people to do this to you, or perhaps we're going to use the thumper, our crazy grasshopper, to eat you because you haven't given us what we wanted. So in a real sense, it's neither of those things. Well, and you could I have read to tell, I have to say a sentence. Is, 
That's never been said before, I think. To understand Bug's life, one must understand Franz Oppenheimer's The State. So oh my God. There's a book, I'm so done with there's you. There's a book in 1908, and it theorizes, like, this guy Franz Oppenheimer, and he's theorizing the state was actually originally, well, what we call the state today was originally roving bands of barbarians and warlords who eventually settled down and just collected tax money off of people. And that's basically what the bug's life is about. The grasshoppers, so some people say the grasshoppers are capitalists in the Marxian language. Um, they take away the surplus labor, the little bit of extra on top from the ants, and they keep it for themselves in what's called primitive accumulation. Um, but what's really is, is that they're just a bunch of gangsters who come around and collect the protection racket, just like you said. But people are kind of blinded to that almost because they think that the story's unequal. And it's like, the inequality is such a big theme today in politics. The grasshopper is like, the ants definitely live a very meager life and doesn't seem particularly enjoyable. But at the end of the day, they're all just eating like grains. The inequality isn't really what matters. It matters that they laze around all day. Because the original idea behind Bug's life is there's Aesop's fables, which are these ancient Greek stories that always have a little message to them. And there's one where there's a cicada, not a grasshopper originally, but he sings and dances all summer while the ant diligently collects food. And then when summer's over, the grass or the cicada says, can I have some of your food to the ant? And the ant says, why don't you dance and sing through all of uh, winter? And the lads who made Bug's Life decided, what if the grasshopper or cicada just decided to take the food? And that's what they do. And a lot of uh, Bug's Life is about how awful people like Hopper are because they don't even make any sort of effort to try and justify what they're doing. They are primitive feudal gangsters. They're much more like medieval warlords or something mm -hmm. than anything else. If they're yeah. capitalists, what's the service they're providing? What are they selling? Is there even a middle class? Is there a currency exchange? None of this exists, obviously, because it's a kid's film and it's about bugs. Well, but I think, I think too, there's like, I, uh, this is definitely reading into it, but there's like a, also a, like a religious undertone to it. So like the, they're putting their grain that they're collecting on the offering stone and then they like go and hide to make sure like hide from Hopper. This is like in the beginning to make sure that like they don't like face the wrath of Hopper. It's almost like there's some type of underlying like understanding that the grasshoppers are like their saviors or like there's it's like almost perverse. And I think I think it's more so the language of like the offering stone. It's not like, oh, they're not saying, oh, they're stealing our food. They're like, we're putting it up on the offering stone as in like it's our pleasure to serve Hopper, you know what I mean? And I think that language is like, it's very subtle, but there, it definitely has religious undertones too. I, I think it's really interesting that you brought up the ant and the grasshopper, Paul, because I, I was reading about this too. I didn't realize that this was an Aesop's fable reference and a sort of twisting of the story. But it makes sense when you look into it because the original fable itself has been told and retold and reframed so many different times throughout history that it, it's kind of emblematic of the points that we were making earlier about people are able to read into this story what they really, really want. So there are very conflicting lessons and morals that one can extract from the ant and the grasshopper, and they have over time, about who is the virtuous one in the relationship. Is it the ant who works hard all summer and then during the winter is able to sustain himself and the the grasshopper is lazy for not being diligent and working for what he needs? Or is the ant not virtuous because he doesn't share the things that he has accumulated uh, and that if you have wealth, you should provide it? And 
it really comes down to the sort of virtues that you think are more important. And I, I wonder if there's a sort of, you know, opposition and a line that we can't cross there because it co- it becomes about what you value over the other, the way you interpret this story and how do you get past that? And is there a point in, in that case? And for instance, I think it was, uh, let me see here. Oh, yes. Roger Lestrange comment that the ants' virtue and vice in many cases are hardly indistinguishable but by the name. So it's really about the labels that we put on these characters more than anything that they are intending to tell. And that's the same with the like the grasshoppers or socialist bureaucrats or their capitalist extractors who are you know taking away the labor of the the people that are doing all of the work. You can find a way to bend the interpretation of a story when it is as simple as a bug's life and make it say what you want. And that doesn't mean any of them are going to be necessarily strong arguments, but people are going to make them. And I kind of grow frustrated with that, that people will look to these stories that do not have outright morals, or if they do, it is much simpler. It's about the individual achievements of particular characters than any system that they're trying to critique. But that inherently does support libertarian themes, which is that the individual, when given the freedom to do what they think is best and take chances and experiment, has the capacity to make a difference in the world. So who knows? Maybe I'm totally wrong, and that is the moral, and it's inherent in the story, and, you know? I think there's a moral to the story that can be viewed in a libertarian lens, and it's that we can all be more than what we think. A lot of the movie, characters have an idea about what the world looks like, and it kind of comes... There's a lot of parallels in real life that people thought that there was a natural order to the world for a very long time. This is the way things are. Some people are born this way, some people are born that way. There's different classes, different lords, different aristocrats, all the above. But the reality is that all that doesn't exist and it's just stories we tell ourselves. And so at the beginning of the movie, we hear Hopper's version of what the story of life. He says he even makes a reference to Lion King with the circle of life. Because the yeah. Lion King is <laughs> I love that, that famous <laughs> Mufasa, it just basically explains why it's okay to eat wildebeests to his son. <laughs> um, and it's kind of like a joke. Like the Lion King almost like supports some sort of like divine monarchy when you read into it way too much like we're doing now. But in Bug's Life, Hopper just basically says, Ants are put on this earth to pick food for grasshoppers. By the end of the film, I think it's Princess Ada says, well, we pick all this food. You don't do anything. You just consume. This doesn't say that. But realizing that the way people talk about the world, it isn't that way at all. And that kind of goes back to Flick and Dot with the whole idea of the seed, that we can be so much more. And by the end of the film, the colony is completely unrecognizable. So I think... If there was one thing I want to take with this film that I think is quite politically neutral, but has a bit of a libertarian leaning, is that we can all kind of kick away what we think our so-called nature is and become a lot, lot more. I also think, too, that there's like a meta, more meta discussion going on because it is ants. Um, So like if the if this movie had a different set of bugs, which I was debating this with someone, if this movie had, you know, they were a group of butterflies, which would make no sense, but whatever. Um, I think people wouldn't be reading as much of a political um, story into it just because ants are always ants and bees are the two insects that are always used in like a uh, in a collectivist mind collectivist mindset to demonstrate, you know, like we were talking about earlier 
And I think that almost by just in the nature of Flick and his his buddies being ants uh, makes you automatically assume that 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 they're like they're taking the position of like the working class just because, you know, all the stories and like all everyone, everyone that understands anything about ants knows that they like don't really necessarily have like a mind of their own. They're very like very much hive mind like bees. Um, and they like have one person, one person, one, one ant that they like answer to. Um, and I think, I think that help is why a lot of people maybe read into this story too much from like a collectivist mindset. I also went down a little rabbit hole. So like Bugs Life came out, um, the same, the same time as ants. Um, they were actually developed in tandem, um, before a studio split. And, uh, this was also one, um, a lot of directors and producers were going after like good stories versus like going after remaking, like, you know, super, superhero movies with like crossing universes. Um, so there was like a lot of competition for this story. So it's split in tandem and then ants, they created ants and bugs life. Um, but the only other insect movie I could come up with, especially like coming out of Disney or like the bigger studios was B movie. After this? I was going to say, why didn't um, we talk about B movie in tandem with this? Because yeah. there's so much that is similar, but similar. totally not at all. Yeah. <laughs> like it goes um, in a completely different direction. Yeah. But like, and then I was like, that's so odd because there's like t- in one year you had two two very like bug centric movies and then you don't we don't get anything until B movie, which wasn't. God, it must have been like at least 15 years later that B movie came out. Um, but still, I thought I thought it was interesting that these came out around the same time. Um, I don't like ants. I've only probably only seen that movie maybe twice ever. Um, Do you remember the woodlice scene? The war they the, have? They have a war. Okay, you haven't seen it in too long then, because in Ants, (laughs) there's the most traumatic scene where they go off, like the main character accidentally is drafted into a war and they fight. No, the termites, they're not called woodlice, they're called termites. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. I do, I I remember that larger part. That was traumatic. And there's that guy, there's one guy who like gets melted and loses his whole body and everything. It is like terrifying for a child's movie. Well, Ants is known to be a much more adult film. Uh, But I will say, A Bug's Life has some shocking dark almost imagery in it like hopper threatens to kill his brother at one point like if <laughs> if i hadn't promised mom that i wouldn't kill you i'd kill you which i don't know how many times in a, in like toy story or a pixar movie usually there's like a metaphor or something but he's like no. i will kill you and then there's like animated blood in the tapestry that the kids make at the oh, presentation yeah. <laughs> and then they drop hopper into the like birds who were like eating him at the very end and of course they fade to black and they cut away but i was like i i'm sure there's exceptions to this and it can get a lot darker in certain pixar films and such but i was kind of shocked at some of this uh i i do have to say i think this was like in an edgier time of pixar too right um it's not pixar it's i think the list i looked at it's not even like in the top 15 of Pixar because it's not as good as all the other ones like i'll come out and say it it's not wally so (laughs) i watched this movie and i was like this could have been a tv episode and they stretched it into an hour and 39 minutes i was like (laughs) it's a little bit of a short story but it's like it's a weird movie because they kind of copy like seven samurais plot have you ever heard about yes Yeah, yeah when they go to the city especially yeah that, I always found that so bizarre. But I was going to say, beyond the gore and explicit killing, one thing I thought was kind of interesting today is the ladybug character of Francis. 
I think that's well, well before it's time. And that's a good lesson. It really is like they they teach Francis to get in touch with his feminine side and understand this sort of uh, it's not ne- explicitly gender fluidity, but it's certainly trying to reject uh, heteronormative gender roles, which I think is an exciting thing that we can introduce to people, uh, even if it's not, you know, explicit in a sense. But it's it's kind of just being like, relax about it. It's not as rigid as you need to sort of portray it as and have fun with it, which it is kind of cool uh, because he's a, he's very like rooted in his uh, and sort of rejecting the perception that he gets as a, a male ladybug, but learning to embrace it and be celebrated for the things that he sort of uh, uh, is, uh, is presenting as, uh, you know, allows him to feel more complete about himself. And look at all the content you're getting out of Bugs Life just after you badmouth it. After you say it's not a good movie, you just had this little spiel well, about how deep it is, how much well, is going on. It's oh, a great movie. right. <laughs> We're not badmouthing it. It's just not... It's, it's not, not a Toy Story. It's not Wally. It's right. Yeah. It's it's not that great for a Pixar film. Yeah, that's your opinion. I will say there is the casting though in this movie is great. Phyllis Diller is is awesome. Uh, Ashley Tisdale and Hayden Panettiere as child stars. Like I I wouldn't have ever known it was them, but it's them. All of the circus animals, amazing casting. There is an interesting thing going on because like there's a lot of in through the whole movie, there's a lot of like in group and out group, like interesting social dynamics going on. And the circus bugs are like on the fringes of like the ant society. Right. So like they have access, like ants can go and talk to them. But at the same time, they're like almost not in the same economy. They're like they're like a traveling circus troupe. And I thought that was the best way to be like to show like flick that there's like a world outside of like I wish they spent the- more time in the city they didn't really spend they, he went to one bar found the first group of people he saw and he was like boom these are my guys this is the one okay but I do that too so <laughs> <laughs> I get that I was like I'm gonna go back to my house it's not yeah. worth it this is interesting though because I think it is emblematic of because we were trying to label like what type of political or economic system is actually going on in ants if you're going to critique it. And it's not pure socialism by any means. And it's not capitalism because we're not seeing markets or exchange or anything. The best thing that I think you could kind of read into it in, and this is being charitable, I think, is it's kind of a state capacity libertarianism message where it's like there are definitely forces at work in the ant colony that are trying to make everything much more equitable. So there's like a strong kind of welfare state where everyone pitches in and uh, their work contributes to a collective thing that gets distributed to everyone at some level. But there is a little bit of room for innovation, at least toward the end. You know, we see the uh, the reed launchers that uh, Flick develops being used by everyone in this sort of technological innovation. But then Outside of the ant colony, you're not seeing that. It's kind of run down. The city is kind of n- portrayed as dirty and gross. And even though well, there's a lot going on. Well, it is outside of like on, the caravan. And that's right. where they live. That's just the way they do. Well, right. But, but they're all happy. Uh, but it's kind of, to me, maybe it's a sort of examination of how, you know, nation states that have strong welfare or equity are not necessarily always super friendly to outsiders. Um, for instance, I'm in Finland. That's where I live. Uh, and 
I, I mean, as the people at, you know, a lot of places will tell you, they're kind of known for being held up by people on the left as like ultra progressive socialist and people on the right will very quickly tell you that people in Nordic countries actually have much, much less business regulation. They just have a large welfare state, but the lax regulations in the private market allow that sort of stuff to transfer to the welfare state. And so marrying them, while it's not you know necessarily making either of those sides really happy, neither side is really has the boogeyman or, or the person they want to hold up as the exemplar in the Nordic model. But you can also point to that and say, while it's great that the Nordic model can do that, it is not necessarily super easy to access if you are outside of the in-group, as Natalie was getting at with this in-group, out-group dynamic. They purposefully make it kind of hard and cumbersome to get in to get access to those things. Now, there are ways, you know, if you were to visit a place like Finland, like I, you know, where I live, you will have access just upon visiting to a lot of state services. But to get full access, to reap the full benefits, there are a lot of hoops that you have to go through and the bureaucracy is very thick. Um, and that is designed in a way not necessarily to discourage people from engaging with it, but it is symptomatic of the work that it takes to put into that. And it is discouraging to get people. And it it shows that it isn't as scalable as people might like to admit and may not work in all circumstances. So if there is a comment about the type of markets and economic model that you could make, maybe it's something like that instead. And you said that Bugs Life, there wasn't anything to say. Meanie, you said this. It's all, you're pulling it out of me. It's all you. <laughs> you and Natalie. I would like to point out that Meanie has wanted to talk about a Bugs Life. <laughs> For, For how while. long? For, For a while. I think it's been three years. Um, so, no, three years, longer, three years actually, that he cause... said it out loud. Yeah. Also, <laughs> like it's been in his heart for so much longer. Oh yeah, definitely. No, I didn't watch a lot of kids' films growing up, so this is one of my ones I was like a big fan of. I, I didn't really like when you guys were talking about Pixar. I actually didn't know which ones are Pixar and which ones Disney because I I wasn't really into all that as a kid. But I really did like I liked Bugs Life and Mulan. Those are the ones I really liked, and I don't really know why I liked Bugs Life so much as a kid because it's not like I I thought about it so much. I was like I want to be like Flick or anything because he's like a flipping bug. But I don't know. Something about it was really cool to me. It's also quite confusing why you would like Mulan, but we'll get back because she's to a that queen. Some other time. I, I don't know. I don't she know is a queen, so cool and the music is great, and it's very funny. And Mulan is great. Yeah, but the new Mulan doesn't have my favorite character in it. So Mushu. Mushu. Of course. Rip. <laughs> also, did they do the music in the new Mulan? Do they have reflection? When will my reflection uh, show? Is that is it called reflection? I don't know I if that's what so. it's called, but it's a great song. It it's is a great a, song. I mean, it's a barn. It's burner. a banger. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that the ants, I think you're giving them too much credit. Because in the story, none of them have ever left the island. So They've never left the island. None of them ever been to the city before. They go there. And like, in the, I think the movie, they definitely, maybe they wanted to spend more time in the city or maybe they don't have more of a plot there. And they just kind of zoomed over it because it would have been awkward to do or they didn't have many ideas on it. But either way, the... <laughs> The bugs are basically like tribal people. They just pick the food, they go into their mound. And even another part of it that I thought was kind of interesting is there's a line where the princess is talking and she's like, our former, our former ants, they built this massive colony. We can do it too. Um, and I think that's, <laughs> I'm sorry to bring it always back to like history, but it's kind of an interesting idea considering for 
after the fall of the Roman Empire, a lot of medieval people lived in the ruins of like a much greater civilization. And they're like, oh, I could never do that. We could never build aqueducts that long or, you know, structures of that kind of dome or cement or anything like that. And sometimes I wonder, like in Bugs Life, it kind of, you get the impression that there's like some sort of decline in the colony. Because like, this was earlier on we mentioned that some people associate the ants with the working class. And I find that like, I don't know how people think they're saying that in like a sympathetic way. Because the first ant you see in the movie, a leaf falls and he can't walk around it without the help of a supervisor. <laughs> like it, it, any Marxist saying that a supervisor is required in production sounds bizarre to me, to be honest. Like it's just this idea that working class people can't do anything for themselves. Well, there was also this really great part where Flick was like <laughs> upset and he was like, just squish me, just squish me. <laughs> and he like put his head under um, the one bug's foot and was like, just, just step on me and squish me. <laughs> Which is also dark. Back to the Pixar thing. That like, is actually really dark. Yeah. Really dark. <laughs> I also think um, another reason that the the Hopper and his, you know, his buddies are more bullies, but they, but it, it also gets read into that they have like, you know, more of a uh, maniac leadership style, let's call it. Um, you he says this one quote, and I think we should definitely include it. It's that he says, you let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us 100 to one. If they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. Um, so I think that I think that line specifically is why people read so much into this movie, because it's packed with the idea that like Hopper t- is fully aware, like fully conscious of what him and his gang is doing. And he's also fully aware that it's it's like hanging on a very, very tight rope. And if any ants like step out of line, they could all like suddenly get together and realize like, oh, we don't actually have to be doing this anymore, um, which is why which is why I think people read like the social dynamics into it and like the political le- look at it from a political lens just because like that specific line you is like hit the nail on the head. That is the yes. line years and years ago. I was in the I was in college and I was finishing my dissertation and I was a bit like tired. I was like, I need to like chill out and just watch some movie that doesn't require any thought. Little did I know I put on Bugs Life thinking I wouldn't be, I, I'd be like, oh, this is just a kid's film, whatever. And that line completely grabbed me. And so I looked it up the line and I found a bunch of different places that posted it, like all sorts, like all these like communist Facebook groups, like Black Lives Matters ones, even some like conservative ones had some ideas about it for a while. So the fact that everyone can hop on this one idea that there's a boogeyman out there, that there's someone who's just a parasite who takes and takes and takes more and they get away with it somehow and there's hundreds of regular people who need to get back at them. That's a pretty powerful idea. Yeah, it's kind of a populist message, which I mean, if anything, maybe that's the lasting impact of a bug's life. People don't realize it was, you know, people label all these things, the election of Trump, et cetera, et cetera. No, it all goes back <laughs> to a bug's, a bug's life, the authoritarian populism. That's what that's it is. That's where it all started. <laughs> I also, the movie does just gloss over the fact that like, oh yeah, let's have a princess, let's have a queen and all that. Let's not make any fundamental changes to our structure of government, but sure, it's a kid's movie. And also, so all the ants are related. So it's like a Didn't big that. family as opposed to, it's it's like a family ties matrilineal monarchy with like socialist, like a large welfare state that is being covered by a protection racket by how how also how many grasshoppers are there <laughs> like on Unclear. screen on, they're on screen 100 at, to one 
any exactly that's what i'm like but also like in the real world i don't know the answer to this i'm not a scientist scientists get in the comments or the, the podcast reviews or tweet at us or something could the amount of grass who would win in a fight uh let's say 10 grasshoppers or a thousand ants would i'm curious because i i, I want to know like where did they months. get the was it just the fable i don't know i don't believe i think it ruins it for me it takes me out of it do grasshoppers eat ants like in real life so many do, questions to ask. well i don't know do they or do they just beat they them do. up like because they have a grudge or something I looked also, at it. it's the first thing that is... comes up. Do grasshoppers eat ants? They do not eat ants. They eat plants, <laughs> leaves, and cereal crops. Also, so why... in the movie, they don't eat them. They they actually, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, they actually don't eat them in the movie. They are specifically using them as like slave labor, basically. And why is Thumper the grasshopper so angry, while all the other ones seem just you know kind of like bums or jerks or something like if anything that's the real he's that's the, another Thumper's really the terrible wild card thing. he's the one they like bring out to sick him on people i know that's you know? why but i'm like what ha- who hurt you i'm like they this obviously very traumatized grasshopper they are using for selfish ends and if anything just furthering the cycle of violence that seems to have been acted upon him and it's just i mean it just goes, they di- I mean, they, they're very villainous. I'll give them that. No female grasshoppers. It's a, it's a man's game there. I mean, if that's not commentary, I don't know what is. Yeah. Another, another thing I was just thinking of. So are ants like, so are, there are queen ants. Is that, is yes. that accurate? Like in <laughs> yes. real life? Like a queen is that ant? canon? Yes. No, no. Cause like, I was like, well, why is that? Why is the ant a princess then? She's a queen is that implying training. that she is not the queen ant? <laughs> not yet. Not well, yet. Phyllis Diller's character is the queen, right? The right. old one. So yeah. she's the queen, and then, so but then the princess ant is there. But also, do are there other female ants in ant colonies, or is there I just think the so. one? I don't think Wh- they're which like is these. interesting. Because okay, yeah. okay, I was gonna say, but also it's interesting because male ants don't usually live that long. Like they make a joke about them living short in the movie, but also they don't show them like working a little bit, and then it'd be like, and now I'll die. Now, of course, <laughs> we're Different. we're looking on the like the like very shallow timeline here. What looks like a whole life to these bugs might be you know a day or something to us, but. Who knows? I don't know. If you ever want to learn more about ants, there is a great YouTube channel called Ants Canada of a guy who like has oh my colonies of ants. And I've learned so much about it from it. I did not realize the whole, the idea that there's the queen ants or anything like that. That blew my mind. But if you want to learn more about ants. I didn't know that female ants had wings and could fly. Yeah. I didn't know that. I was watching this and I was like, that's not scientific. It's totally true. Which, as a person from Texas where fire ants exist, is terrifying. But I don't know if fire ants have wings, but I'm going to find out. Could you imagine if if the ants in this movie were fire ants? (laughs) That would be cool. They'd be able to defend themselves. That's the the problem with movies like this, though, is using animals is you kind of like you step into tropes and you kind of like start to act as if like when we talk about, you know, all people are born free and equal, it's because we're all humans, so we all have the same rights. But once you start having animals of different abilities and different sorts and all, the movie kind of like a lot of different movies with animals almost justify the differences between them sometimes, as if this is the way things are meant to be. And I find that very odd. It's kind of a social Darwinism 
angle. Uh, it's very much like some people are made different and they're just, you know, fated to um, not be fit and to get, you know, there are predators. And then See, that's Lion prey. King. That's what Lion King is about. But like Ant's Life is about not giving in to your nature and being something more than that. It, it, it's interesting, though, because it you, what you're saying does it is emblematic of what the film tries to get around, which is the idea that, you know, this sort of like American dream that people can break out of their roles and their species uh, in the metaphor of animals and, you know, rise and anyone can make something of themselves like the the seed metaphor that you talked about before, when in reality the ant is always going to be an ant and it has a role and an ant is not a male ant is not going to transcend and suddenly become the king ant that everyone celebrates he's going to work and then he's going to die and i mean yeah you can read into that metaphor and it might kill the movie and be like well you're taking all of the fun away but do we lose something in 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 these metaphors like that or do we you know get fixed into certain ways of thinking is like Natalie was talking about of viewing the ants simply as collectivists i think too like with when you're when you do an, like animals or you're like getting into the like the dynamics of their societies or bugs for instance i'm thinking to bee movie too like the whole idea is that they're using ants or they're using bees to fight against like what we understand about ants and bees too though right so like in bee movie he like, you know, they all get they're like on the little tram car and they all get assigned their job. And it's like one person has like the little honey hat on his head and he like wipes the honey. The one person like then like the upper class in that in bee movie are the people that get to collect the pollen. Right. And they're like they're like the buff bees. Right. They're the top gun. Of, right. They're the, yeah. Of, they're the, they're Tom the top Cruise gun of- as a bee. Goose <laughs> and Maverick fly out to collect honey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, and like the whole idea behind that movie too is that like um, I'm blanking on the main characters, the main bee's name, Jerry but, Seinfeld. Yeah, but the actual bee's name, similar to how Flick is treated in a Bug's Life, like he he is trying to like break out of stereotypes and do something that like bees don't do. Remember, he like wants to be a lawyer and like, <laughs> which again, great plot, but like it's that this idea of like you're not stuck in. You're not stuck in the hole, right? You're not stuck doing with like what the bee world or the ant world or whatever has told you that you must do and that like you can challenge the rules or you can like challenge the playing field. Um, and I think both of those movies have, like Paul said, those mess- that message. Um, and I just think it's we do it with bugs because it's more entertaining because um, like we can't have that many human people. I mean, not human people. Human movies that have this same message because they're we can't have good. that many human people. <laughs> Natalie coming out in favor of population control. This has been Pop and Lock. Thank you so much for listening. Have more babies. <laughs> if that's something that you feel comfortable with, yes, you should. Um, I I do want to ask. Um, Bugs Life and B Movie were both kind of movies that didn't like stick around long in the collective imagination. I think it's because people just, I don't know, maybe the American I... dream kind of stuff. Oh, like, say, but, sorry, B Movie did stick around I, before it's you say true. anything. It stuck around as a meme. But like the whole <laughs> message of, you know, yes. be more than you are and everyone can do something. I think a lot of people are kind of like sick of that message and find it very trite and almost childish or naive. Um, and so it's kind of like ignored. And that's why I don't really see people talking about Bugs Life a whole lot besides. Well, I think the B movie was essentially an updated version of Bugs Life, right? So like in Bugs Life, I feel like Flick is more like um, he is a hard worker in manufacturing. And they're like, let's make B movie and we'll make him like a lawyer or like a 
news person or something like they'll like updated the work he was doing. Um, I think they're I think they're very similar movies. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, the best way to keep in touch with us and get more Pop and Lock content is to follow us on Twitter. You can find us at the handle at Pop and Lock Pod. That's Pop, the letter N, Lock with an E, like the philosopher, Pod. Make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We look forward to unraveling your favorite show or movie next time.